0: Welcome to a Season of Caring Podcast, where there's hope for living, loving, and caring with no regrets. This is Raina Nices, your host, and Karen Weaver, your co-host. We've been talking recently about the Caring Quiz on the podcast. Karen took the Caring Quiz, and who did you come out, Karen? I came out to be Paul. Paul. All right. So I'm a Hannah. And Karen's a Paul. So if you want to learn more about what we're talking about and the HOPE team, how to build your team, you're definitely going to want to visit caringquiz.com and you can learn more about all of the HOPE team members and exactly what kind of caring style you have as well. So today we're going to jump in and just talk a little bit more about our interview with Carlos. Carlos has been an amazing part of one of the support groups that I lead. And I just love his his
1: Spirits.
0: Mm-hmm. He just really has such a heart of compassion.
1: Yeah, he really does. I mean, I, I was just strong, struck by his humble spirit right off and his attitude and how he realized that he would need to make some changes. He seemed actually very comfortable with the fact that this is what I have to do and this is what I'm going to do. Many people struggle with that whole piece of I'm going to have to change my lifestyle in order to accommodate um, an aging parent. Yeah, just a great spirit.
0: And I think it's been a struggle for him. And that's been one of the things that's so beautiful is he knows he's still in process, but he can look back and say, I have been able to let go of some things that I thought were really important and been able to embrace this season and really allow it to bring about the change and the improvement in, like he said, his character, his faith, just all yeah. of those things.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it was really neat how he recognized up front that there was a connection between change and grief because he, he understood that he was grieving being able to do what he used to do. He said, I can't go where I want to go now and do what I want to do. I can't just pick up. He said it's really different than having a child. And a lot of times people don't think about that, that. The fact that you have children, but you can like take them along. You can't always do that with the same ease when you have an aging parent. I was just very struck by how he just was able to surrender and really prepare for what was needed um, at that time and not but he put himself first and what he needed first. In fact, he sounded like a coach, if you ask me. You know, <laughs> when he started talking about his mindset and, and his desire to do things, I mean, I really started to think he really has the mindset of a coach and his being able to shift at the moment and shift for the season that he was in. So it, it was really nice to see how he was, trying to execute his wishes for his dad. The other thing that really struck me is like, most people don't have the important conversations really until it's almost too late. I know my parents never would have a conversation about aging or preparing for end of life issues because it was almost a mindset of, if we don't talk about it, it's really not going to happen. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So it was it was always a, a struggle for me because I knew that that was just an unrealistic way of looking at things. And then, of course, when you get to that point, most of the time you're in a situation where it's not appropriate to have the conversation because there's too many other things going on or they're not able to have mm-hmm. conversations about what is important.
0: I agree. And I think, you know, obviously I was very young when my mom was diagnosed with the disease. At 16, at, you know, so it wasn't like I was a part of those kinds of conversations, but definitely with my dad, that was something he did well because he knew what it was like to care for my mom. And so mm-hmm. he sat down and had a really tough conversation with us. And that was really a guiding point for me and how I was able to execute caring for him because he clearly stated what he really wanted, what was most mm-hmm. important wow. to him. And so by saying to us, you know, I want to be at home as long as possible, we had to struggle a little bit with that long as possible, but (laughs) at the same time, that came back to me over and over again. And even... At the end of my dad's life, he had a blood clot in his leg, and we had surgery, and he went to a rehab facility to recoup from that surgery and get back up on his feet. But after we were at the rehab center, he still wasn't quite as mobile as we wanted him to be because there were stairs in his home. And my sister and I had that conversation again. Okay, what are we going to do? We know dad would rather be at home can we make that happen? What can we do? And so we actually prepared the basement instead of having him go up the stairs. There was a bathroom already there, but we needed some repair work on it. And we just kind of redecorated the basement, brought down things for the caregivers to be right there, a little mini fridge, microwave, everything we needed so that we were able to move him home into the basement, but he still knew he was home because that was so important to him. So I'm so thankful for that conversation because it really did give me kind of that true North reading. What would he do if he could choose? And I knew. And so it is tough to have those conversations. Do you have any ideas of ways to bring up conversations? I know you said your parents didn't want to talk about it, but any ideas of how to maybe get some information out?
1: Well, I think that it's important to at least try to have the conversation. And I think I did make that effort. So I would always encourage people to make the effort. But I usually tell people, don't be discouraged if your loved one is not receptive. Because you're only going to be able to do what you're able to do. I think the other thing is, it was a lesson for me, because I'm very open about having those conversations with my young uh, adult children, because I don't want to put them in the same position that I've been placed in as a result of the mindset of my parents. So I just tell people to do the best you can and understand that everyone is not going to be able to necessarily accommodate. And then to be able to go through the resources that you have available to be able to put other things in place that you do have control over and find out as much information as you can in advance to sort of prepare you for what you can already see is coming down the pike (laughs) in the future.
0: I think one thing too that's really helpful is I mentioned with clients when they're finding that resistance to having those conversations. Is there an aunt or uncle that's had a fall or had a surgery and has to recover in a in a rehab facility, bring up other people and talk about that with your loved one so that they can see a real life example. And then you can say, what do you think what would you like to do? Is there a place nearby, mm-hmm. a recovery place you'd like to go if something were to happen to you? It just makes it a little less on the spot and a little yes. more just talking yes. about it and saying, well, you know, aunt so-and-so, she went to this rehab center for three weeks after she broke her mm-hmm. hip, and it just makes it a natural conversation, but you can sure glean a lot of information about their perspective and their desires if you can get them talking. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea. I think That's a great approach because It's not so personal, but at the same time, you can glean some personal information as a result of of abusing other people, examples of what has happened to them. And while we're talking about that, what about the whole life lesson piece? Wow. I was just so struck by him when he talked about his family and love and how his parents and family had Put all this in place for him to know that, you know, this is what you do for family. And Mm -hmm. how he was passing that lesson, that legacy onto his daughter. What a huge thing to do. And what a great gift to give someone so that they too would know what to do later on in life if they needed to care for their Mm -hmm. parent. It's sort of like you're modeling what's going on. And I think we always say it's not what you say, it's really what you do. And so that was such a great example of him showing his daughter what you do for your family.
0: And so many listeners are probably in that sandwich generation. I know I had a high schooler at home. My sister had elementary school age kiddos at home whenever we first started caring for my dad. And that sacrifice that you make as a family, it is a sacrifice. But again, I think it makes such an amazing statement to those younger people this is our loved one and he can't do this for himself. He's not being Mm -hmm. lazy. He's not just taking advantage. He can't. And so we're stepping in and meeting the need where we can step in. And I do think it's a beautiful legacy to leave. For me personally, again, one of the motivators in caring for my dad and the way that I did was watching my dad care for my mom. Because Mm -hmm. we had experienced this so early in our lives, my dad took early retirement from his position as Mm. the chief financial officer at Folgers Coffee and stayed at home to care for my mom. And part of his motivation was, I want to travel while we still can. But that season was a short time. He really just wanted to be sure to take care of her. And so Mm -hmm. looking at how he lived out love Impacted how I live out love, both in my marriage and in how I lived out love and caring for him too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That that that's just a, a great memory that you have. Carlos also, when he was talking about this whole thing, joy, and I think you're, what you're saying has a lot, something to do with this too. Is we have to experience joy so that we don't get ourselves in a rut that you know life is over. We have to be experiencing life as we're in the caregiving season because you don't want it to be like, okay, that was a part of my life that I didn't have any joy. I just kind of blocked everything out. It's just a part of life. It just Mm -hmm. all goes together. And I, I really appreciated how he embraced this and the idea that you can't put joy on hold. You have to still live. I mean, he was a man, and I was like, "Wow, I'm I'm used to women having this kind of people you know, compassion, but I was really very struck by him being a male and his sense of compassion that he expressed about the journey."
0: One of the things that so impressed me about Carlos and how he cares for his dad, they live in California and, you know, the weather's nicer there than it is in Kansas. And one day he was sharing that his dad loved to be outside and they loved to get out and do things, but he was finding some of those regular activities weren't working as well as they had in the past. And he bought a bicycle built for two. And one of the things that they do is he and his dad go for a bike ride frequently. Now it's yeah. winter they're still and so they're not able to get out like they were. Right. But he was sharing how it took a while for them to work as a team on this bicycle built for two. But his dad really got to a point where he so enjoyed it. And he would say, well, I can't steer. And and Carlos would tell him, well, it's okay, dad, because I got it. You can just enjoy the ride. You can mm-hmm. just enjoy seeing all the things around you. Again, just the way that he has been mm. creative in finding things they can enjoy together is just beautiful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great story. And what about the way it all started? Mm -hmm. I love when he shared his story about how he first found out that something was happening with his dad that wasn't quite right. I think that story is so important to anyone who's doing caring for a loved one just to have that start. Like, when did it start? How did it start? Because you never forget it. You never forget that story. And it's so much a part. Of your your way of being, and he expressed it in in such a, a loving way. And I I, I love the part where you two had a conversation about the fact that how long it took for his dad to be diagnosed. I mm-hmm. mean, we're talking about a year after that. I I think that's a struggle for a lot of people. Is really mm-hmm. you know, how soon do they get diagnosed? Why does it take so long? Why are doctors so afraid to actually say your loved one has Alzheimer's, your loved one has dementia. What what is that all about? I don't don't know.
0: I guess I think of it as the fact that they don't have hope to offer with the diagnosis. Mm. When you receive a diagnosis of cancer, there's chemo, there's all these things that they feel like there's still hope that we can fight this together. But I think the diagnosis of Alzheimer's because the medications are not there yet to really help us see hope in the end, that I do feel like they're struggle with that. And even the medications that are out there, many of them are just not effective. And so even as the doctors are offering that, they know they know that it's a tough road that's gonna be coming. And I think they're just hesitant to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. And I, th- I think with like my dad, his doctor has known him for many years and they have a relationship. And so I think it is difficult to really come to the reality that this is something I really can't fix. So coming to grips with saying, I think your father has all harm I always like the way my dad's doctor actually speaks directly to my dad and mm. tells him, mm-hmm. and and then he tells me what's going on. But I think that's also difficult for them as a doctor because they're people too. They are. And then when Carlos talked about sort of the heartbreaking times when his father would be unkind to him and mm-hmm. he was trying to do the right thing, but his father didn't receive it that way and, and trying to just wrestle with what that meant and the fact that you know his dad was not the same and was not able to always give him responses that were appropriate. So it is a a journey, and that's why we all need support. (laughs) Definitely.
0: And the challenge of the behavior, we hear that a lot more with dementias and and those types of illnesses. But even when you fall and you're just in pain a lot, if your loved one isn't mentally struggling, they still could be... The pain level could be high and they might be unkind because they're just at the end of their rope. And so I think it can be difficult, no matter what your loved one's struggling with, for them to always be kind. And we want them to be, (laughs) but sometimes they're just not. And so it is hard and it does wound us as people that love them. But I think, again, just realizing that there's a lot more going on on their end and Mm -hmm. they aren't experiencing the same season as we are, they're experiencing it from their own side of new limitations, new struggles, sometimes constant struggles or mm-hmm. ongoing pain. It can just be really difficult.
1: Absolutely. Well, maybe that's why Carlos said he was involved in five support groups. I thought that was a bit <laughs> much, but I'm like, how does he have time to be a part of five support groups? But I did like the, the, the reference to the poem group, mm-hmm. I guess when you write poems to sort of express feelings that you have as a caregiver or things that you're struggling with. I I thought that was a nice new way of offering support to the caregiver community, for sure.
0: I think for Colors, those five different support groups bring different people into his life. And so many times as caregivers, there is isolation. And obviously in COVID, there's even more isolation than before. But caregiving can be very isolating. And those connections are just allowing him to find that support in different relationships that he wouldn't be able to find right outside of his door, you know, with his neighbor or even a family member, because they're not experiencing it the same way he is. So I know that he draws a lot of strength from that.
1: Absolutely. And I love the way you summed it up, you know, talking about You know, you're not alone. Find resources. The seasons will change. This can be difficult, but take one step at a time. And I I think that was a a great way to, to sum it up for those out there who are caring for their aging parents. And it made me think of your book again. You're offering some support. Tell us a little bit about your book.
0: So I'm really excited to be able to share part of my family's story, obviously not all of it because there's years of it, but just being able to give some specific tips and tricks on how we manage things like doctor's appointments, medication management, personalities, staffing, and then the other side of it, not just those practical pieces of outside things, but also the inside stuff. Part mm-hmm. of what you've talked about with Carlos is I can tell he's done the work for himself yeah. of why is this important? Who am I as a person? How am I going to make these decisions based off of our family's values and those important pieces? And I found that same thing to be true in my caring season, really getting into my values and making decisions based on those things. And I share um, some processes and tools that I use to do that in my book as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I highly recommend it because everyone in this season needs support. You can't do it alone. You may think you can do it alone at first, but I guarantee you somewhere along the line, you will need support. So it's, it's better to start identifying what that looks like sooner than later.
0: (laughs) Definitely. And and I love that part of what he talks about with the five different groups is there are so many different ways to get support from one-on-one coaching, to counseling, to support groups, to reading things. Carlos talks a lot about educating himself about the disease and how to handle those things. You have to embrace those things in different ways that work best for you. So finding support in whatever it is that works for you is really one of the most important things you can do in this season.
1: Absolutely. That was a great discussion, Rainer. I really enjoyed listening to his interview. and. I enjoyed just taking the time to sort of talk about some of the nuggets that I've found along the way in listening to your interview with Carlos.
0: Thank you, Karen. And listeners, if there's anything you picked up on that we didn't mention, we'd love to hear about it. There's a comment section on our show notes page. We'd love to hear your thoughts on interviews. And remember, if you are interested in being a guest, contact me at reina at a season of caring.com and we can talk about sharing your story. Thanks again for joining us today. And just a reminder, a Season of Caring podcast is created for the encouragement of family caregivers. If you have medical, financial, and legal questions, please contact your local professionals and take heart in your Season of Caring.